Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and this is going to probably be the last episode on the Tuesday series. And we've come a long ways, and we have ventured through a plethora of Lutheran doctrine, looking at the history of the Augsburg Confession, the Book of Concord, and going through a ton of stuff from that. We looked at the sacraments from the Lutheran perspective and spent uh, probably close to 20 weeks going through all that. And now we spent the last eight looking at the Lutheran and reform, the differences and the, and the similarities. And I would love to keep doing uh, Tuesday episodes like on Lutheran doctrine as it needs to be done. But at this juncture, uh, I am going to pause this and focus on the Friday shows and bring you great edifying content at least once a week while I finish my master's, and then we'll see what next year brings. There could be other things that could come up and other topics that need to be handled or should be handled, and we will dig into it at that. For the Friday shows, we will continue our journey through the book of Matthew and we will be looking at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And that is the entire premise and foundation to the Christian life is going through the Gospels and understanding who Jesus is. And so when we look at these comparatives between the, the Reformed and the Lutheran, then we, we have to you know come to a similar or a, 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 a common knowledge that both camps look at Christ in the same light. We both view him as Lord and Savior. We both view him as the only way to God, and we view him as being the only means of salvation. So that is significant in of itself. And so I hope that even amidst all of the differences that I've unpacked in this series, you will see the common ground and this common thread of who Jesus is. 
We just have a different way of reading and acknowledging scripture. And we find it to be uh, different when applying it to one's life. And I know for most of you who listen, uh, if you if that chart that I put up on the Undying Light Instagram page, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it's probably a couple months at this point. And if that holds true, then many of you who listen to the show listen to it from, you know, this and then many other reformed podcasts and other preaching and other conservative podcasts and all that sort. And so there's probably a good plethora of you who don't actually call themselves Lutheran. And that's great. So my goal with this series has been to, you know, highlight and showcase where we differ in our theology. And for the most part, we found a lot of common ground, but we found uh, some nuanced pieces and we found some things that Luther and the Lutherans have held to for the last 500 years that the Reformed reject. And then we've even talked a little bit about how the modern Reformed circles have rejected what the traditional confessional Reformed circles hold to such as infant baptism. And and I find that to be a fascinating function because uh, in in the midst of all of the modern churches, even prominent pastors reject infant baptism, and it's always this uh, acknowledgement of one to be baptized. And in all of that, then it's, you know, as we've talked about numerous times on this series, it is denying the work of Christ and in making it our work. And we don't like that as Lutherans, so... There is a lot of differences. There's a lot of similarities. And and I have the utmost respect for all my Reformed brothers and sisters. And so if you listen to this, I, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your support on this show. And I hope that you have uh, been edified and maybe even challenged in some of your views and beliefs. Now, I know there's a lot of you out there who are Lutheran and are listening to this show. And 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 that's wonderful. And I, and I have to first preference it with this I've you know I, I grew up in a Lutheran church but was not saturated in Lutheran doctrine until really about four years ago and so I, I'm still a baby in a lot of things and I have a lot of things left to read and learn in my ministry life and so I hold to the book of Concord I believe all of the things that are said there and I do not you know, shy away from the Lutheran confessional aspect. And also to pre- be noted, I'm not ELCA as, as hopefully you have known, you know, noticed that we reject them and we have, you know, pushed them aside because they are not traditional Lutheran. <clears throat> They're not confessional. They have no right to call themselves Lutheran based upon their progressive ideology. <clears throat> so, as always, I, I'm getting over a cold, and in fact, um, I had to re- delay recording last week um, and the week before because sick and family things and all that sort, and so I'm trying to get back into the routine of recording on Mondays and Tuesdays, or, or either or, and today's Tuesday, which is great, but I'm dealing with this cough, and, and I had just recorded Luke chapter 2 as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, I know. Uh, seems a little odd, but I wanted to dig into the the birth narrative of Jesus a little bit deeper. And so 
we jumped over to Luke 2, and then we were going to go back to Luke 3 in the following episodes, as by the time this airs, we'll probably be at like 4 or 5. And I had to pause that show uh, like 30 times and just hack along. It was terrible. I hope I don't have to do it too many times recording this one, because I'm on a time constraint now. Had to get some plumbing fixed in the house in between episodes. So um, our main water line that comes into the house, the piping, you know, we're in a house that's uh, 60 some years old. And so a lot of it's original piping and the main water line coming in was, was starting to erode and it actually had a light, a slight leak to it. And when you have two kids and uh, laundry and dishes and all the sorts that need to get done every day, and then you have four people taking showers and baths, uh, it, um, it pulls water constantly. So had a plumber come in and fix it for us today, which is great. I'm glad he was able to do so on such short notice. And I just always, you know, interesting trying to <laughs> sneak in these, these recordings in between all of the things that are going on in life. So this week we are going to wrap up the book between Wittenberg and Geneva, and we are going to uh, conclude with worship. And as I'd mentioned in previous weeks, this is not a exhaustive look at these topics. Now, there could be down the road, uh, maybe next year or or whenever, uh, a time when we can actually dig into these deeper from a Lutheran perspective. Like, I would love to do a sh- – uh, it, it wouldn't have to be long. It could be a short series, five or six or eight episodes or whatever, on – liturgical worship why do lutherans worship in this particular manner we're not going to get into much of that today because it is an extensive amount of information to dig through and this book is great and it helps us to understand um some of the the facets with it but we will not dig too deep into it unfortunately so maybe at another time but Let's dig into worship. Um, before we do, I have to make a note that we've talked long time ago on this show, the uh, modern church worship feel, and we talked about how there's kind of a cancer in the big in the church today with these big box churches, and we did a couple episodes on that. I had Anthony join me, and we talked about it. We've talked about it on a matter of truth, and. So we've done worship, but that was always kind of from a reformed perspective on the declining structure of Christian worship in the in the West. And now we're going to kind of add the Lutheran perspective and talk about both of these caveats. So in the contemporary church, there are perhaps a few topics that generate more heat and less light than of worship. Seeker-sensitive services compete with traditional liturgies, praise bands via uh, via with choirs and advocates of choruses clash with proponents of hymns and psalms. Many Christians are familiar with some, maybe all, of these scenarios. Sadly, what is striking is how non-theological much of this is, seemingly often to be merely a question of differences of taste dressed up in the thin veneer of theology. Worship, what Christians offer to their God in response to his grace in Jesus Christ is inevitably theological and should be deeply so. 
This is where a return to the roots for both Lutheran and Reformed traditions can be helpful. For the Reformers and their immediate successors were not interested in debates about taste or aesthetics for the sake of it. They were concerned about the worship of their churches offered to God to be appropriate to who God is and was, was and still is, and what he had done for them and continues to do for us. This was something with which they had wrestled with long and hard. Thus, their understanding of worship was profoundly theological and deeply rooted in their reflection of God's revelation of himself in Scripture and in person in the work of Jesus Christ. Differences certainly exist and continue to exist between the Lutheran and Reformed traditions on this matter, but the reflection of both of these views of both communions can only benefit us and present a simple reason that both communions asked serious questions and gave serious answers. By learning about our respective parts, we can uh, therefore better equip ourselves for worship in the present. Now, uh, I'm going to kind of skip through the Lutheran structure here in this particular book, and I'm going to kind of outline, I'm going to give it more or less from a high-level perspective. So, Luther uh, did not seek to change too much of the Catholicistic worship structure. Uh, there were elements and there were there were pieces a part of the uh, worship that needed to be changed. And we've talked about that in the Lord's Supper. And we talked about that in uh, the, the service of baptism. However, by and large, the the approach that Luther took was not to uh, reform the worship structure of the church and his, his venture was still to be liturgical in basis and as close to the apostolic structure as possible. And we'll get into uh, this big difference for the, uh, between Lutheran and reform. This is where we have our most significant difference. And that's the understanding of regulative principle. But as Luther ventures in, he found there were certain pieces of the service that were crucial to the life and success of the church. And so uh, if we were to structure it, we, we have done ourselves as, as a, a Lutheran church um, as close to the original framework that he has designed for us. And again, there's, there's differences and there's time periods that have uh, evolved and have adapted. But by and large, there's a simple structure to the service. There is the opening greeting, uh, and some churches put their announcements at the front of the service. Some put them at the back of their service. We put them at the beginning of our service. After we do the announcements, I welcome everybody in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then I move into the absolute, the confession and absolution, and We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but from the absolution and confession, then we move to prayer and then we will go into reading of God's word and in between this. So between the prayer and the confession and absolution, we'll have a hymn of praise. Then we go to the prayer and then we go to the reading of the word and then we have the gospel read by me and then a sermon given and then a hymn of the day sang, then a creed generally the Apostles' Creed, if it's non-communion day. And then we do prayers of the church. Then we do an offering. Then we 
We'll close the service with a, with a benediction, and after that, <clears throat> the dismissal comes. Generally, we'll have a closing song. Doesn't quite always happen that we'll have a closing song, but generally, after the benediction and before the dismissal, we'll have a closing song. So that's the the most simplistic form of Lutheran worship that we can convey. Some churches have longer liturgies. Some churches print their entire liturgy verbatim for how the service will be conducted. Uh, and so you'll get kind of a small pamphlet every time you go to church. My church is very simple. We have uh, a front or we have a, a folded paper that's got uh, front and back and then two inside. And then we have an insert for our uh, responsive reading. So when we do the reading of the word, we have an Old Testament passage, a psalm of the day, which is read responsively. And then we have a um, and then a New Testament passage. And they will all correlate between those three and some function to the gospel that is going to be read and then preached on. And so I can turn back to these passages and highlight pieces and instances of it. So going back to the beginning of the uh, Lutheran service, the traditional liturgy that we host in our church, when we open with the um, acknowledgement of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is the acknowledging that the triune Godhead is present here in this service. This is a response to uh, the grace and mercy that Jesus has shown us. And so we acknowledge that at the head of the service. Then we move into the uh, confession and absolution. In the confession aspect, we call to light the sins of the congregation. And we don't verbally proclaim those sins. Uh, It is just done as a silent meditation. And so there will be a probably 30 second to 45 second pause. Then I move into the response to that confession then I give them the absolution. And so this is the, 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 the setting mark for the Lutheran tradition is to acknowledge your sins and then to receive the promise that your sins have been forgiven. And that is how we have conducted every service since I've been here for the last two years. After that, then we uh, do a, a simply a second greeting and then we move into the hymn of the, or the opening hymn, which is like a hymn of praise or it can, it can kind of function to based, to, uh, based upon whatever day it is. If it's the first of the month, or as we will be going forward, the first and third of the month, um, we, ho- we could hold a curie, which would be uh, when we had the Lord's Supper on the first of the month, we'll have a curie response, which is a proclaiming of, a, of, of the supper to come. And so in the Lutheran liturgy, there will be, uh, this whole little dialogue between the singer, the leader, and the congregation. And then this is done as a response to the communion aspect, which will come towards the end of the service. If we do not have a curie, then we move right into the prayer of the day and then to the readings. And so we will have uh, God's word read by either a member of the congregation or me. And then we'll have the gospel, which is read by me. Then I do my sermon generally 25 minutes or so or less. Uh, Lutherans do not put too much emphasis on length of sermons. And in fact, most Lutherans will tell you if you can't get what you want out in, t- in, in under 25 minutes, then you need to redo your sermon. And there's, there's reasons behind that because the sermon is not a teaching element for Lutherans. We do not get up to teach 
the scripture. We do not get up to exegete the scripture. We get up to preach law and gospel. We look at the scripture. What is it doing to us? Then we move into a, what is the gospel doing to us? So we look at the law. What is the law conveying? Then we look to the gospel. What is that telling us? Where's the promise? How do we have assurance in this? It is not an application. It is not a means of you go home and you do these eight things and you'll be happily saved. It is distinction of law and gospel. And we talked about that in previous episodes. So the sermon is generally not that long. Uh, I, I tend to like to talk about the text a little bit more and, and describe it a little bit more. Um, and so it, it can kind of vary from preacher to preacher, but at the heart, it's always law gospel. And after the sermon, then we have a, uh, uh, hymn of the day response, which would be a response to the sermon. And we would sing us another song. Then we will move into the apostles creed on weeks where we host communion. We will do the Nicene creed. And then once a year, we have the Athanasian creed on uh, Trinity Sunday. After the Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed, then we move into uh, Prayers of the Church, which is a kind of collective group of prayers that are going out to uh, to those in the community, those in the church, those who uh, work abroad. We pray for the farmers, the, the school teachers, the community workers, all that. And then we also will sing, uh, pr- uh, pray for the sick. And we will acknowledge everybody on our prayer list in that portion. Then when we conclude with the prayers of the church, then we'll move into an offering. If we are having communion, then we would go into communion after the offering where we would uh, do the words of institution. We would say the Lord's prayer. And then we would, uh, I would welcome everybody to the table. I then hand them the bread and uh, the bread of the body of Christ. And I would address it, the body of Christ given for you. And then my assistant would be the, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then after the communion, I, we bless the, the body and blood in, in the people. The people receive the blessing again. And then we do a benediction and then we conclude service. Uh, we'll, again, generally close with a closing song and then a dismissal. Uh, on days that we don't do communion, uh, that, that time period where communion, the words of institution are given we will read the Lord's prayer or say the Lord's prayer. And sometimes we might even sing it if we're really uh, itching for it. So sometimes we'll do that. So when we get to um, the reform perspective, now this is where we see a lot of differences. And I'll tell you that there's probably a lot of differences even in the Lutheran circles across the different synods and types of churches. They might be more contemporary if you're in a bigger area and a bigger you know, demographic. A church has more people to pull from, so they'll try to be more contemporary where they bring in more modern music and they uh, have less liturgy structuring. Uh, the pastor will not wear robes or anything like that. They'll wear a suit or a shirt and tie or just a button-up shirt and jeans. and So there are, you know things to pay attention to from the Lutheran aspect. I've yet to see many Lutheran churches that do that, but I know there are some out there that do. When we get to the rest of the Protestant movement, and again, this is kind of going to exclude the Reformed at this moment, but the rest of the Protestant movement, excluding Lutheran and Reformed, generally will hold a contemporary structured service. They'll have 
three songs, four songs to open the service, a lot of repetitive uh, lyrics in those <clears throat> songs. Then they'll move into a reading of the word and they'll do a uh, long hour sermon talking and teaching the word. And then they'll close with a few extra songs and then the dismissal. Occasionally they'll do the Lord's Supper where they'll do a, an abbreviated version of the words of institution. Uh, and then they'll invite people up and then they kind of do a mass movement through the, uh, the Lord's Supper. And <clears throat> what I find interesting is in many of these churches, especially that are in the bigger areas that have a larger demographic to pull from, they do not actually have the pastor administering the bread and the wine to the people. It's volunteers within the church. And, you know, that can be kind of a, uh, a fuming point, if you would, for the Lutheran perspective, because we find that it is only the, the pastor who can bless the bread and wine and also the administer of at least the bread. We will generally have a council member uh, do the wine because we can't carry two things. Some, some do, um, but for the most part, by and large, it's the pastor handling the bread, the body of Christ, and then the uh, assistant will do the blood of Christ or the wine. So that's the non-denominational view. That's mostly, you know, the big Protestant churches, uh, and some of them may just not even f- may not even use uh, the Lord's Supper at all. They may just disregard it entirely. But in the Reform camp, we come to contention with this understanding of regulative principle. And this is where, again, we'll find some sharp distinctions between the Lutheran and the Reformed. And the Lutherans will generally point back to uh, this construct of service that the early church has always done. And it's kind of two ways to look at it. Like the regulative principle, uh, which generally has originated from John Knox, a Scottish Presbyterian, uh, who was intimately involved in the Reformation in England and Scotland. The idea drives him that sin of idolatry was a destructive one at that. And this was a, a big, a big sticking point between the Lutherans and the reform. Knox saw that, pictures of Jesus or crosses or anything symbolizing that was a form of idolatry and should be removed from the church entirely. And so this is why if you go into a Baptist church or any reformed churches, you might see a cross, but you won't see uh, any pictures of Jesus or any pictures of saints or uh, anything depicting biblical stories or narratives. They have excluded all that because of basically John Knox's hatred for it. And what John had taught, what Knox had taught moves into the rest of the reformed circles and they have rejected the images they've rejected kind of because it, you know, they, they viewed it as having a uh, resemblance to the, the Catholic faith. And so they wanted to remove themselves as far away from that as possible. So that's another big distinction between the Lutherans and the reformed. Lutherans didn't see the need to move away from pictures because we're not worshiping those pictures. They're there as an acknowledgement of our faith. And in most times in the churches that have like stained glass windows and such like that, it is a manner of a 
telling of a story of whatever biblical narrative is done in that picture, whether it's the uh, Beatitudes scene where Jesus is on the side of the mount or it's the scene from the Garden of Gethsemane or whether it's the birth narrative. There's there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different scenes that can be portrayed. And Lutherans don't see any problem with it because we're not walking in and worshiping the windows and worshiping, you know, the pictures of Jesus we have. However, the reformed find it as a distraction and they've removed them. And that's, that's totally fine. If that's their view, that's, that's not something to, to nitpick over. And, but I think it helps us to understand that they would, they would piece this under regulative principle because what they're trying to do is go to scripture and say, how did God ordain worship to happen? And they will turn to the old Testament and the new Testament and compare the two and say, okay, has anything changed and how should we worship going forward in that the Lutherans differ from regulative principle. And if off the top of my head, I cannot recall what the other view is, but it comes at it from the other angle saying, well, if it's not strictly forbidden in scripture, then why can't we worship with this structure? And obviously everything that Luther had des- you know, designed in his liturgical outline comes from scripture. There's nothing that we do that supersedes scripture. There's nothing that we do that goes, uh, has more of a focus on the quote unquote traditions of man rather than what scripture tells us. And I think that is sometimes a piece that uh, when we get into these debates over worship, the reformed seem to uh, kind of balk at because they don't, they don't see, uh, for instance, the absolution and confession as being a means of partaking in one's uh, service. And from the Catholicistic background, the Roman Catholic Church, they would generally do uh, absolution and confession on a personal level when you would go to the confessional booth, you would announce your sins, and then the, the, um, the priest would then tell you, oh, you must do 30 Hail Marys or you must you know, do this and that and you'll be, you'll be saved or your sins will be forgiven. And, you know, and they'll give you this rigmarole, if you would, of, uh, things to be, um, done. Whereas Lutherans see it as if Jesus tells the people their sins are forgiven. And then he turns to Peter in Matthew 16 and builds upon him. The, the rock makes Peter, the rock of the church, and from him is the foundation built. And then in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And if we see that cascade down into the preacher, preachers don't have authority in of themselves. Preachers don't have anything that's not intrinsically given to them uh, from outside of Christ. So we view the uh, confession and absolution as a means to draw one's attention to the acknowledgement that it is Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection that forgives you of your sin. And so there's, there's obviously differences between the reformed and the Lutheran, like the reformed don't generally have a, a liturgy and a liturgy is basically a structural outline for the service. The reformed will have kind of a pamphlet or a, a single sheet and they will open it with a song of praise. They'll open it with a hymn, uh, 
and then they'll turn and do a psalm of the day reading, and they might even do another reading of the word. Then they'll do a sermon, and the sermon will then be their focal point. And from that sermon, they'll exegete a text and teach the text for the next 45 minutes to an hour. After that, then they might do another reading or psalm, or they'll transition into a hymn, and then either in some churches they'll administer the sacrament, and then they'll move to a benediction and closing. Closing. So it's fairly similar, but not quite. There's some there's some significant differences in the Lutheran and Reformed view, and uh, you know, especially when it comes to kind of the aesthetic of the church. For instance, in mine we have an altar and we have a picture of Jesus there. Uh, many Lutheran churches still even have crucifix the crucifixion of Jesus uh, present, where you know he's hanging on the cross. Uh, a lot of the reformers and Protestants don't like that, but it's a reminder to us of what Christ has done for us. So, all of that to say, there's a lot of similarities and, and some and some significant differences. We obviously conduct worship differently, but the framework is fairly similar. My advice, though is if you have the opportunity, go and listen to a confessional Lutheran service. Go and sit and partake in the divine service and hear some of those differences that you would not get from your Reformed church. And I encourage you because there is a, there is a unique difference where in the Lutheran church our focus is the work that Christ has done for you. This is a gift for you the body and blood of Jesus Christ given for you to you. The promise is given to you. And that is the biggest emphasis in the Lutheran church. So by all means, please uh, go and partake in a divine service. If you are able to, if you are traveling through Iowa, DM me. And I love if you were to come and partake in service at my church. And uh, that's open to anybody and everybody who is able to. So, That is uh, a wrap on this series, on the whole Lutheran theology series that we've been doing and focusing on for the last, you know, however many months we've been here, most of the year, I think. And, and And I hope you guys enjoy the Friday shows. We might come back sometime next year and do some more deep diving into the Lutheran aspect and just work through some of these caveats that we never quite got to and hopes that we can, um, articulate clearer the distinction between the Lutheran and the rest of the Protestants. So that's going to wrap the show. This little series we will be back obviously on Friday, working through the gospel of Matthew. And, uh, and I hope you guys are enjoying that series as well. So if you are, please share this podcast with your friends and relatives and with your church even and hopes that we can grow this fan base. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a great week. God bless. We'll see you later. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.